one. Hey, what is Labor Day? Why do we celebrate Labor Day? What, what does it mean? Why do we have this holiday? Well, for some people, Labor Day just signals the end of summer, right? I mean, you've got Memorial Day at the beginning of the summertime, and you've got Labor Day marking the end of summer. Uh, it means back to school. Either we've gone back to school a few weeks ahead of time or we're going back to school uh, after Labor Day. For some people, Labor Day is a, an excuse to grill again, to have another cookout, invite friends or family over and, and have a party. Uh, for others, Labor Day signals sales. Labor Day sales. Let's get out and shop a little bit. But why do we celebrate Labor Day? What does it mean? Well, in our nation, the holiday of Labor Day began in 1894 when President Grover Cleveland signed the Labor Day law uh, into law to celebrate workers, primarily blue-collar workers who were working long hours, and even women and children, uh, young kids were working at that time period, long hours. There were no child labor laws, and so it was a holiday to honor the hard work Uh, and those who labored in this country. And so it would be a three-day weekend, the first Monday in September, to have a three-day weekend uh, to honor those who work. Do you remember your first job? I'd love for you just to take a minute right now in the comments and just share with us, what was your first job? Maybe it was as a kid, maybe it was right out of college, but what was your first job? Just go ahead and comment right there in the comments. What was your first job? I remember my first job, uh, and it wasn't a glamorous job, but I think I was probably in the eighth grade, and my first job was working for a photographer in Tulsa, Oklahoma, John Peterson Photography, and he was a commercial photographer, and uh, I wanted to work with him because as a young guy, I was interested in photography and uh, thought that might be my career. And so Mr. Peterson gave me a job, but it wasn't a glamorous job. I wasn't taking pictures, and I wasn't even developing pictures. You know, back in the day, um, you didn't just get your picture immediately. You had to develop it. You had to process it and put it in these chemicals and stuff, which I thought was really cool. But I wasn't developing his uh, photographs. I wasn't taking pictures. At the beginning, I wasn't even helping him on his photo shoots. My first job for Mr. Peterson was as a janitor. My first job was sweeping the floor, mopping the studio floor, cleaning the toilets. Yes, cleaning the toilets. That was my first job. My first grunt labor, my first job. You know, a lot of people think about work like my first job. Grunt work. Work is basically cleaning toilets. Uh, It's something you'd rather not do. But, you know, work is a good thing. Uh, In fact, God honors work. God himself even is a worker. When you think about uh, work in the terms of the Christian faith, um, a lot of times people think that work and faith or works and faith are diametrically opposed. But faith and work go together. Uh, In fact, from a Christian worldview, we can say that work is good, not bad. You just think about uh, the beginning chapter of the Bible. Uh, The first picture that we have of God is 
as a worker, as a creator. In fact, it's been compared to other religions where our God, he gets his hands dirty, if you will. He, he takes the dirt of the earth to form man. He is a worker. He's building. He's creating. Work is good. So is rest. God rested on the seventh day. Uh, but work is good. Rest is good. You think about Jesus. Jesus was a worker. Can you imagine our Savior Jesus as a carpenter as he was, or a farmer, a, a worker? He didn't just preach all of his life. He, he worked. He worked with his hands. From the Christian worldview, work is good. And of course, yeah, now there's, there's thorns and thistles and sweat. So uh, sometimes we have to clean the toilets. But work in itself is, is not a bad thing. It's a good thing, and we should honor work. In terms of our faith, uh, sometimes there's this wide gap, this juxtaposition between faith and works. I think works should be distinguished from faith, obviously, but never divorced from faith. So if you think about uh, the book of James, you know, the argument of the book of James is that if you have a true faith, then that will evidence itself in works. You'll not only believe things, but you'll do things in light of your belief, in light of your faith. Titus makes this really clear, too, particularly in chapter 3. He, he says in, in verse 5 that we're not saved by our works. We're saved by God's mercy. And then later, just a couple verses later in verse 8, he says, But we want those who believe to devote themselves to good works. Good works don't save us, but works are the outflow of a genuine faith. Faith and works are distinct and distinguishable, but never to be divorced from one another. True faith yields works. So on this Labor Day weekend, I I want us to uh, look at a few passages. We're going to look at three passages that talk about this idea of faith and work. Um, I think we're going to see a couple things. We're going to see that faith uh, is primary. The thing that God really wants from his people uh, is faith. Faith comes first, but faith also results in work, and faith itself is hard. It's a labor, if you will. So, first of all, let's look uh, in the Psalms, Psalm 62. And uh, this verse, this passage, I was reading it uh, last week and just wanted to uh, bring it out as we think about faith and work. We're going to begin at the uh, end of Psalm 62, and Vicki read it for us, but uh, verse 11 and 12 says this, Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Now, I read that first because we it's kind of a problematic verse. I mean, when you think about that, uh, he's going to talk earlier in the psalm about faith, okay? So we'll get to those verses in a second. But, but verse 12, there's this problematic sentence here where it says, God, you will render to a man according to his work. Now that strikes us Protestants as, wait a second. 
God doesn't render us according to our works. He credits us righteousness by faith, right? So if you just look at Psalm 62, 12, you kind of scratch in your head, but this same verse, is the idea is kind of repeated uh, even in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 2 uh, says that, that God will judge each man according to his work. So what are we to do about that? Well, well, we'll come back to that later as we get into the New Testament. But let's look uh, at the earlier verses, verses uh, 1 and 2, okay? Verse 1 and 2 says this, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Now let's think about that for a second. He says very clearly here, the psalmist says in this song of praise, he says, from God comes my salvation. Salvation is is not what we do by our works, but according to verse 1, salvation comes from God. And look, he's he's looking to God, waiting on God. He says another uh, verb, if you will, for trusting in God is waiting on God. Don't we feel like when we are trusting God, we're often waiting on God. Uh, Often in the scriptures, trust and wait are synonymous. Uh, But he says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. And then look again, the word alone. He alone, and he describes God as my rock, my salvation, my fortress. Aren't those great pictures of a God who can save us, a God that saves us is our rock that uh, won't let us fall, a fortress, a refuge that protects us as we trust in him and him alone. This is a psalm about trust. And yet it has that problem verse, verse 12, that talks about God rendering us according to work. But let's go on and let's look uh, at verses 5 through 8, okay? Verses 5 through 8, again, alone. Uh, He says alone again. Verse 5, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. There it is again. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Now, in those couple verses there, there's a lot of repetition of what we saw in verses 1 and 2. But look at verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. Why? God is a refuge for us. Trust in God. There it is explicitly. The whole psalm is about trusting God, but there it is explicitly in verse 8. Trust in him. When? At all times, O people. At all times. What are you going through right now? What are we going through right now? The call of Scripture is to trust God in all things and at all times. So I'm going to come and ask you this again at the end of the message, but what do you need to trust God for today? What do you need to trust God in this week? Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. 
you know, pouring out your heart to God when you're desperate, um, when you don't know how God is going to come through, pouring out your heart to God is a form of trust, not distrust. It might feel like worry, but you're pouring out your heart to God because you, you know in Him alone is your salvation. In Him alone is your protection and your salvation. That's a psalm. I want to move uh, to the next book in the Old Testament, and that's a great proverb about trust. And many of you have probably heard this one, but uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's a lot of people's favorite verse in the Bible, but Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, this wisdom verse, says similar things. Verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your and he will make straight your paths. Excuse me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then he contrasts that first sentence, trust in the Lord with all your heart, with trusting in yourself. And I love the picture. There's parallelism here in Hebrew where one line will say trust and the next line will explain what trust means. So here the word picture is do not lean. Do not lean on yourself, but lean on God. That's what, that's what trusting is. It's, it's leaning on someone. That's a picture of trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. He's going to contrast in chapter 3 here this trust uh, with ways that we don't trust. And if you, we won't take the time now, but if you look in Proverbs chapter 3, you'll see a bunch of times that the Scripture says, do not or let not. And if you contrast verse 5 with these other verses around it that say, do not do this, do not do this, he's saying, don't trust in those things, don't trust in this, but do this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your and he will make straight your path. Sorry, I, I memorized that in another version. I keep wanting to say it in that version. Uh, in all your ways acknowledge him. Trust in the Lord at all times. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all all your ways acknowledge him in what things does God want to be trusted in all your ways and do I do we acknowledge God in all of our ways whether it's trusting God acknowledging God in our marriage acknowledging God in the way we spend our money the way we parent our kids are we acknowledging God? Are we leaning on God in all ways and in every area of our life? The call of Scripture is to not lean on our own wits, not lean on our own resources, but to lean into God and to bring His sovereignty and to bring His sufficiency into everything that we face. All things. So finally, I want to take us to one more passage in the New Testament, 
And uh, this passage is the words of Jesus, and it comes from John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, Jesus has been teaching, and he's actually done uh, one of his great miracles, and that is the feeding of the 5,000. Amazing miracle, and there's a lot of hard things uh, toward the end of John chapter 6. But after he's done this miracle and he's gone to the other side of the sea, these folks that have watched him do the miracle, they, they come and they find him. Uh, they, they, they discover that he's on the other side of the sea and they come and find him and, and they ask him uh, this question. They ask him this, this really great question because they've seen his miracles. And, and chapter 6, uh, verse 29, the question they ask him is, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus, you're amazing, and you're, you're, you're a person doing the work of God. What must we do to be doing the works of God? And, and look at Jesus' answer to them. This is so profound. Verse 29, Jesus says, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus says the works of God are not primarily or fundamentally miracles, but the work of God, the work that God has for us primarily, fundamentally, is to trust his son, Jesus. And that's not just here in verse 29. That doesn't mean just trust Jesus for salvation. That means trust me ongoing. The work that you have to do is to trust Now remember Psalm 62 in that last verse. He will render man according to his work. Well here, Jesus defines work as trust. Faith is work. It has to be distinguished. Faith and works have to be distinguished, but faith is hard. It's a labor sometimes. It's hard to trust The work of God is not to lead people to Jesus, to build a church, to be a great uh, giver to kingdom work. All those are good things. But the primary work of God is for us to trust Jesus. That trust in Jesus will result in other works. But according to Jesus, the primary work is to believe, is to lean on him. So, do you trust Jesus? Do you lean on him? I had a mentor uh, that loved to say often, God loves to be trusted. God loves to be trusted. You think about that in terms of uh, the author of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not just hard, not just difficult, but apart from faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Our primary work is to trust God, which results in other works. 
but the foundation and the fount from which all works, from which all labor comes, is a dependence, a leaning on, a trust in God. You know, um, we tend to uh, struggle with this. And we struggle with this, I think, uh, a lot because we're primarily doers. I mean, I know I am. We're primarily doers. We want to get things done. We want to make things happen. We're, we're people of action. We're people, um, Americans, workers. That good Protestant work ethic, right? And work is good. God's a worker. God's a laborer. And yet, ultimately, what he wants from his children is their trust. So again, I ask you this morning, what is it that you need to trust God with today? Where is it that you feel out of control, uh, without resources, confused? Where is it in your life that you need to say, God, I trust you. I believe, help my unbelief. We have to trust God in all things. We have to trust God with our church. We're in a unique and difficult season right now. But can we trust God for the future? God loves to be trusted. What do you need to trust Him with this morning? What do you need to trust Him with tomorrow morning? I want to give you a minute just to think about that and to take a moment here just to cry out, to pour your heart out to God like the psalmist said and uh, to say, God, I trust you. I trust you in this. I trust you no matter what. I'm leaning on you, God. I believe. Help my unbelief. See, here's the deal. You can trust God because he's shown that he's trustworthy. See, God hasn't just said, hey, trust me, guys. But how do you learn to trust someone? How do you come to trust someone? Well, you spend time with them. You, they, they earn your trust, right? You spend time with Jesus. You, you learn to trust him. And Jesus didn't just say, trust me. He showed by his work that he is trustworthy. How did he do that primarily? He did that on the cross. He said, you can trust me because I'll bleed for you. I'll give my own life through death, through horrible suffering and death, so that you can know that I love you and that you can trust me no matter what. You can trust a God who bleeds for you. Jesus didn't just say, hey, everybody, trust me. Come on, you can do it. Through labor, through work, through pain, he said, I'll die for you. I'll give myself for you so that you can know that I love you and that you can trust me. That's the God 
that we can trust. A God who gave it all. Let's pray. Father God, we we want to do works. We want to please you by advocating for you, by living for you, by serving you, by telling others about you. We're doers, God. But I pray that you would help us more than doing to be believers people who trust you, not just for salvation, though that's huge, but to trust you in each day of our life with the big things and with the small things. God, we believe. Help our unbelief. Help our faith to deepen. Help our trust to be grounded and rooted in the work of Jesus for us. And through that deep faith, help us to serve you through other works as an expression of that deep faith. But God, give us hearts that trust you in all things, no matter what. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we ask. Amen.